0: This conversation with you was exciting for me in Nashville. It was not for me. <laughs> Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontenet, Purpose and Intuition Coach.
1: And I'm Melissa Grushka, and I feel weird about the conversation we're going to have today. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about being the family fixer, but we're going to really get into it with me and you a little oh okay are you ready I'm ready (laughs) are you sure yep this week I you know what I was gonna start with my cringe moment but honestly this whole fucking conversation is gonna be my cringe moment (laughs) so I'm taking I'm taking right now as my cringe moment Uh um we did have a planning call without Maury on the Line this week, and we decided. I don't even know honestly how it came up, but we were discussing her role among her family because the producers of this podcast are very familiar with her family and family they are dynamic, in my family, some of as them. in they are in your family. All some of them. Of them. Um, <laughs> so we somehow came up with the idea that Maury has been this fixer in her family for a long time, um, and probably in everyone's lives for a long time, and that she's a appears to be sort of growing out of that role in some ways that she's, I guess more not growing out of it, reflecting on that role and how she would like to, I don't want to say, I think shift in her roles. Um, And I chimed in by saying this feels very (laughs) familiar to me because in Nashville, we had a very deep conversation. It was very healthy. We talked about how I can make Maury feel sometimes by the way we're communicating. And I was like, Pretty responsive, in my opinion. And we settled it nicely. We were like, wow, what a moment. I think we, like, laughed. We cried. It was one of those, like, (laughs) beautiful moments. But something felt off upon separating at the airport. Um, I even went back and found her again after we already said goodbye because our goodbye just didn't feel like it normally does. Yeah. And I left and I still didn't feel it even after my second one. I still felt something was there. So I reached out to her shortly after and I said, something's up, like I can tell what's going on. And then we had a phone call and I'd say it was our second argument in 20 years of friendship. How long have we been friends? Yeah. We had one about 10, I don't even remember how long ago. And That's a good ratio. What is that? Oh, totally. A hundred percent. hundred percent of the time. But I have to be honest. I think the fact that we don't have those arguments and that we are usually so aligned made this feel even heavier for me. yes, because we don't have this dynamic. I mean, I, I don't I don't tend to raise my voice much, but like you were heated yeah, and like yelling at me and I was crying. I it wasn't like you were horrible and making me cry. It's just how Thank we give sort so of. Clarified. yes, it's just sort of how we were communicating. Yeah about this topic that we felt was so unresolved. And then I think it got taken. I think Maury feels like I perceived it in a way that was incorrect. Like I was applying her commentary to our entire friendship and she was just applying it to like some moments in time. And it kind of really devolved. And then we kind of just agreed to disagree and got off the phone. <laughs> and, then and now we're going to do this podcast. I, we never really addressed it again. <laughs> like we, att- she attempted to.
0: Yeah. I will jump in here and just specifically say, I now understand why you wanted to talk about the topic of fixing, because the thing that we discussed in Nashville that made you feel off is that I, for the first time ever in our friendship, pointed out, because I'm becoming more aware of my dynamics with people in general. Which is great. Yeah. um, I support you. Thank you. (laughs) I pointed out, because it was the first time I had recognition of it in our friendship, that when I was talking about something in my life, you would jump in to relate to it by bringing up a similar situation in your life, which by the way, a lot of people do. And I just learned on a retreat that I was on about listening, that that is a form of listening called relating. But because it turns the topic into it being about the other person. So let me give an example. Like, oh my God, I just had such a rough week with my husband. You know, he really doesn't feel like he's listening to me very well. And then the friend says, oh my God, girl, I can relate. This whole last month he and I were going at it because dot, dot, dot. What happens is the original person who brought it up now no longer is the subject of the conversation. The person who's trying to relate is making it about them unintentionally. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. So I recognize that dynamic. I think where the fixer piece comes in, which is clicking for me now, is that I said, what happened is you related, but because our dynamic is that I'm a problem solver with you a lot of the times, I'm a coach. So it's just, I think, natural. I will help you think through whatever you're talking about. And so when the subject would change to it being about you, it would usually end with the question being, what do I do about this? And so I said to you in Nashville, hey, have you noticed that I'll bring something up and we'll end up solving your problem? And you were really graceful about it. And then I think that it felt like it had affected our time together, which I didn't feel because I felt like we had a good conversation about it, but you felt that way. So when you texted me afterwards and asked, I brought it up again and yeah, and then that's where the conversation just got really hard.
1: But when I did text you, yeah, I think when I texted you though, you were on, you were in agreement. You were like, let's talk about it. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I want to make sure. Even though I texted you first. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know what I don't like? I don't like when people gaslight each other just to make them comfortable. And so I was sensing that you were being intuitive in that moment, that something had shifted with me, which is- (laughs) I am focusing on not fixing everyone's problems all the time because I think it's really disempowering. And I think that what I've noticed, and I think this is what's hopefully applicable to all the listeners, and we can make this episode way more applicable than just talking about <laughs> our argument, um, is when you play a certain role and you evolve out of that role, how uncomfortable Correct. it can make people. And, and yourself, I and think. And yourself. Too. And so what I was noticing in being the fixer, and it's not just you. I mean, I think that's why we said family fixer, right? Like this is my role in in my family. When you evolve out of that, when when you play that role, there's not a lot of space for you. There's not. Because you've made it all about the other person. And and they unknowingly are in the dynamic that you wrote a play, you're the writer, director, and producer. And they're playing the role you handed them. And then suddenly you wake up and say, oh, I don't really want to be in this play in this way. And they're like, wait, what? What do you mean? What did I do wrong? It's like, you didn't do anything wrong. I wrote the play. I I was part of this. And now I'm evolving out of it. And it creates discomfort. And I think our conversation, um, which I'm excited about because I think conversations like that just make friendships closer, um, made it uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, well, I I think it for me it was because I never viewed it that way. I view it as I have supported you a lot in life. Yeah, that I have also provided that role. And if that if I haven't provided support and guidance and love and space for you in our friendship, then it feels to me like what? How have you seen me then? Because I think that's truly one of my greatest strengths is my ability to um, support and love through and. All of those things, and I interpreted as you saying, "I'm the one. You're the one who does all of that stuff in our dynamic, and I just lean on you." I think and that's that made where me sad. Yeah, I get why that would make you sad. That I think that's where absolutes
0: are the problem. I think people can have surgical issues with certain things that don't apply to the entire dynamic of the relationship. And I think that's where we lost track of the conversation, because what I was saying is that in certain instances, it feels that there's not space for me. And what was then extrapolated from that is in our friendship, you don't support me, which is absolutely not how I feel. I couldn't be in a 20-year best friendship with someone who wasn't supportive. So I think that that's indicative, hopefully, if you're listening of how holding space when you're evolving and asking for new things can create discomfort with even the closest person in your life. And also misunderstanding. I mean, I think the main misunderstanding in that conversation, again, was that Melissa somehow believed I was saying, in our entire friendship, I don't feel supported. And for me, it was way more... um, in the moment and surgical and like specific than that. It wasn't a broad conversation about the
1: friendship as a
0: whole. So
1: my guess, even though I'm not, I mean, I guess I could say I'm sort of shifting out of certain roles in my life at this point. I think as you get older and wiser, you sort of learn what you need and what you want. And whereas you didn't really even pay attention to it much before. Um, But I think to toot your horn, um, even though we did have a disagreement about it, you primarily were pretty clear about what it was in your shift. And I think that for anyone listening, if you are evolving out of your um, uh, role that you've been in your entire life, it's really important to communicate Yes. not just shift And be like, well, that's their problem. Yes. Because it's not. Because you have created a dynamic with certain, you know, not you specifically. One creates a dynamic with those around them. And when there is a shift, even when it's communicated well, like you did to me in Nashville, it still creates discomfort, even though we had like a really healthy conversation about it. Yes. So I can imagine people grow out of their roles and they probably become resentful, in fact, of their role and they don't even address it. Yes. I absolutely (laughs) think that's true. I'm just going to (laughs) agree. Okay. But I want more of your tips, Okay, specifically given your current situation of evolving out of a role that you really have leaned into for almost your, I'd say your entire life, correct? Yes. As fixer? Yes. So what's the question? I guess the question is one, how do you think you became the fixer? Okay.
0: I think, and maybe we can make this less about me now and just about general people
1: yes that's fine whatever i i was thinking to you only because I, this is like a current evolution of yours
0: yeah so how did i become the fixer and 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 also how does one find themselves in a role like being yeah. a family fixer I, I do think it goes back we had a conversation about this in the episode about um personality tests i think if you guys haven't heard that one we did. go back and that's listen right. to it um where i think that you are brought into your family And brought up with the awareness very specifically of how you're going to get love and derive value from the people raising you. And you quickly pick up on what they need from you. Sometimes they need you to be the lighthearted one. You know, if parents are fighting a lot, you'll find that like jokesters, comedians will talk a lot about coming from homes where there was a lot of disruption and argument and trauma and fighting. So there's a way that you will figure out that your role, um, is a certain thing to get love and value. And what I find with fixers is that they have a parent or, um, you know, someone who is a caregiver in their home who relies on them emotionally prematurely earlier than they should be relied upon. And that can happen in really like innocent ways, sharing too much about what's happening in their lives as an adult. Being really emotional in front of their kids all the time. I say be emotional in front of your kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's you know,
1: I am I am emotional in front of my kids. Yeah, I was well, like, wait, what? We're not supposed to do that? No,
0: it's. I think that's called being human and showing them that emotion is Me good. Too. But that's I, that's
1: what I really do see.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a boundary there where it's if it's consistent and it's all the time and it's mm-hmm. you, there's not a sense that the parent can get control of the emotion or can just say I'm okay. It's okay that I'm sad, but all of a sudden you know I'm happier because now you're in the room then the message is, oh, you, I, my job as the child is to take this away from you. And so I notice with the clients that I coach and I also really relate to is those of us that are fixers had some situation in our childhood that told us that the adults in our lives needed us to help fix their problems so there could be safety in the house, so that they could be centered and calmer and um, With our presence so that we then could feel safe. So I think my origin story is, you know, parents who were divorced and a mom who was really far away from her family, thousands and thousands of miles in another continent and feeling lonely and trying really hard to bring joy into our lives. Like there was always music and dancing. And even when my parents would fight and my dad would leave in a huff, my mom would turn on music and we'd dance. But because I can feel her emotions... And I know this word right. empath is something that a lot of people make fun of now, but it is actually
1: 100%, a skill
0: 1, where you can sense other people's feelings. And so because I could feel the feelings beneath it, I felt like, oh, no, I need to like, like, it's like a security blanket. I got to throw myself over you and fix this. And then that just evolved and evolved and evolved. I do think that being an empath or feeling other people's feelings, most of people like that are fixers. Because what's happening is you're sensing the feeling coming at you from the other person almost before they can feel it. And because you want them to be okay, because you want you to be okay, you want the dynamic to feel okay, you will quickly jump in to fix it. And it can be something as tiny as I'm going to make a joke right now, or I'm going to take you somewhere and take your mind off of it, or I'm going to um, directly ask you what's wrong and get into it. It doesn't have to be any certain way of doing it, but I definitely think that you just know it's time for me to jump in and do something about this person's feelings. And what that does is not create room for your own feelings anymore. Your own whatever you're feeling, sadness, confusion, anger, it becomes secondary to how the other person's feeling. You have to take care of them first, and then you grow up really not learning how to check in with how you feel or right. ask for what you need to get what
1: you feel, get your needs met. And to jump in here, my sister is a major, major empath, so is yeah. one of my children. Um, And I think I'm an empath to some extent, yes. but not not as deeply as you are and my sister. And my sister has said, I don't know if this is correct, that not only do you feel other people's feelings, but I think when people are particularly close to you, sometimes um, their feelings can become so enmeshed with yours yes. that you don't even know which are yours and which are somebody else's. A hundred percent. And then you start to act accordingly sometimes because you're like, am I sad? Is the, Am I stressed? Like, what what is this? So or am true. I feeling that person's sadness? Yeah.
0: The biggest... St- Thing I learned when I started to realize that this is something that I did was to separate. Is this my feeling or your feeling? We talked about this with your child who I told you, I think this it. person's yes. an empath. And yes. we talked about, you know, my advice around that is really stopping your kid in the moment and being like, wait a minute, are you sad or was someone else in the room sad? Are you mad or did that person look mad? So that they can just separate the feeling. And that was yeah. such a liberating thing for me just to be able to separate. Oh, I'm not sad, that person's sad. It's not my feeling. Therefore, I don't have to try and I can actually be okay. That's the other thing is that there's guilt that comes with it. If you are feeling that someone else is sad or unhappy, then you feel bad being in your own good space. Like, oh, I'm okay. Oh, shit. Well, that's not okay that I'm okay and they're not okay. I should be more sad.
1: Yeah. But speaking of guilt then, even for you, if you're starting to pull away from being the fixer in your family, do you feel guilt? guilty or are you like, this is just how it needs to be Oh,
0: totally. And you know what? I also think the way that you pull away from it can be kind of icky sometimes because you're not really aware that you're- My face. Yeah. I'm like making an icky face. No, it can be hurtful. It can be hurtful. I think if you're, the reason this conversation is so important and I'm glad that we're talking about it is if you're not aware that you're playing a role in service of someone else that's sacrificing your own needs- and you keep doing it without awareness, you get resentful, right? and then you treat them with resentment, and you're right. not even sure where the hell the resentment came from, and the entire joke here is that it came from your own sacrifice, so if you're not clear about, oh, I'm resentful because I was sacrificing my own needs in this dynamic to make you okay, and now seeing you makes me uncomfortable because I've come to a place in my life where I no longer want to sacrifice my needs. You're waking up. Yeah, you're waking up and you don't recognize any of that, then you can act out with resentment towards the people. So I think to answer your question, the like waking up and deciding that you don't want this isn't always clean. It's not always this mindful experience where you – wake up, you're enlightened, and you have the exact language to sit everyone down and say, in the past, I used to fix your problems. And I've now chosen that I'm not going to do that because there's not space for my feelings. Usually it looks like I'm not going to answer that call. I don't want to respond to right. that text message. Totally. Don't tell me your problems right now. I don't have time for you. It, it, it comes out with resentment because you're still processing it. And then when you process that the resentment is yours to manage and yours to be accountable for, then you can start to be like, okay, hold on a minute. What do I need in this dynamic and how do I articulate it? And per our example of our conversation, it's not always going to be met with like total, oh, I totally get you. It's going to be like, wait, what's wrong with me? Have you hated the whole relationship? You mean I suck? And it's like, no, I'm just trying to say I'm realizing I'm having a different need. And people are going to have feelings about that.
1: That was like legitimately my response on the phone oh, Totally, to I was like, what's wrong with me? I thought you knew me better than that.
0: Totally. And it has nothing to do with the other person. It's 100% about you. And so I think that, yes, there's guilt that comes with it. But there's actually fear for, the, for when you're shifting out of this role of fixing other people's problems. There's a fear. Or any role. Yeah. Any role. But it, there's a fear that you won't be valued and loved anymore. Because you're so convinced that that is your only value. And if you stop doing it, they're not going to love you and need you anymore. There is a real fear around that. And I have found it is
1: actually quite the opposite. And I think that probably, I'd have to guess that a lot of people who are having an awakening like you're having or, and I'm like quasi, I'm always two years behind you. I'm sure in two years, I'll be exactly where you are, that they're not even aware. All they're aware of is this resentment that they have of like, this is not fair. This is not fair. But they're not like, oh, wait, it's not fair because I need something here too. They're just like, you're putting all this on me. You're putting all this on me. Yeah. And to just rewind a little bit, um, I don't know why I always- (laughs) feel the need to clarify, even though that I don't think like, I don't, I don't blame your mother. I don't blame you. No. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. I don't. Think people are that I feel like sometimes when we talk about this, it feels like, Oh, how could the mother do that? Or how could, how come the daughter didn't just not fix it? Or I just think people really naturally fall into patterns that they don't even realize and Absolutely. that it's totally okay to be unaware of it what i think you're having and i think is a healthy moment for people is to be able to view it in that perspective even if it's something you don't like like i'm i'm doing it a lot even through this podcast where you're opening my eyes to things about my childhood that again no one's at fault it's just sort of no i think it's i'm glad you said that yeah. i think a lot of I don't people know why I feel the need to do it all the time well
0: because a lot of people have that need to not blame and you know what right. i think blame is so useless Because it's not like the people around you that were caring for you most of the time. There's, again, a lot of harm and trauma that's caused by terrible parenting. Intention. Intention. intentional Um, But in most cases, it's not like the parents or the caregivers were intentionally trying to create harm. It's not like my mom was like, I want you to feel my feelings. I think that they are doing the best they can with the tools they have. Too. And every single generation is an upgrade to the generation before. So my mom was doing a 100 times better than was done for her. And my grandmother did a 100 times better than was done for her. And a lot of this stuff is ancestral and generational. And a lot of this stuff is learned and passed down so subconsciously, so in ways that you can't even notice that you decide, oh, this is the role that I play in this family because I watched my mom do it with my grandmother. I watched my grandmother do it with my great grandmother and on and on and on. It's just something that is passed down to you. So I think it's really important that you brought that up because so many people have a block with recognizing needing to have boundaries when they are the fixer, because what they don't want to do is put blame on their family. Because what I'll hear them say is, but my mom, my dad, my sister did their very best. Yes, they did their That's very best. Failed. And and unintentionally harm was created. Unintentionally harm was created, which has now followed you into your adulthood And you are now healing and trying to move past. And that is all okay. And by the way, when you do it, they watch you do it. And as they watch you do it, they start to evolve. That's the real magic, is that the people who you were always playing this role for watch you now come to a healthier, more centered state around yourself and your needs and your boundaries while still being loving. It's not like you're throwing people away.
1: It's a balance. It's an and. It's not an or. And when they I watch think this you. is the proper way, though, of doing it. Yeah. I'm sure some people do just get so resentful they throw it away. I think what you're suggesting is a healthy way of pulling back. I think it depends on the situation. I think there are certain people
0: in your life that are toxic, in your upbringing that are toxic 100%. that you need to go away.
1: No, totally yeah. for that, too. And I also think it's noteworthy that our parents and, and our caregivers also come in with their own trauma. That, like, exactly. That. Just because they're parents and they have a child doesn't mean they don't have their own life that has happened to them. That's exactly
0: how this happens is that they're projecting right. their trauma onto you unintentionally usually and you choose to carry it forward. This is the difference in my mind between being asleep, sleepwalking and being awake. When you carry that trauma forward without being aware of it, you're sleepwalking through life. When you wake up and notice, oh, this is a cycle and I'm going to be the one to break the cycle. That's an awakening. And that awakening, by the way, is uncomfortable. It's fucked up. It's hard. It's hard for you and it's hard for the people around you because they are expecting you to play the role. Like I was saying in the beginning, you got handed a role. The family all expects this, and you start not playing the role. It's like, wait a minute. What the hell are you doing? Because you're disrupting the apple cart. It is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. However, on the other end of it, you lose the resentment. You lose the heaviness that comes with the relationship. And in that space that's created when those weights come off, there's room for authenticity and real connection and honesty. I was going to say, which yeah, is a you probably deeper, can be closer. Yeah. Which is why I said this conversation with you was exciting for me in Nashville because it Maybe felt like – for me. <laughs> right. But think about what I just
1: said though. Totally. It's the discomfort of it all for sure. But also curious – what is causing this awakening for you suddenly? I mean, this this has been your role. What? Why now? Why Why at this moment in time? It's not really now. It's been the last five or so years. I think it's a couple of oh, really? things. Yeah.
0: I refuse to teach or guide something that I am not going to walk the path of myself. It's just not authentic. Yeah. It's not acceptable. So if I'm going to teach people to be liberated from the shackles of validation and conformity so they can find their truth and embody their higher self and live their purpose, then I better do the work. So, number one, I'm doing the work that I'm teaching, uh, and that came with my own spiritual journey and learning about you know the way that we are all connected and the harm we can do to each other and ourselves if we don't look back at our own trauma and heal it. So it's in my work. Number two, I think i'm the move made a big difference. I moved across the country from my entire core, support system. I mean, you live on the East Coast, my entire family lives on the East Coast and having the space to look at my own life outside of constantly filling other people's needs showed me how much time and energy I spent taking care of other
1: people and how much I was forgetting myself. Sometimes I wonder if the move, I mean, I know there were lots of factors, but sometimes I do wonder if the move was, I don't want to say like an attempt to get away, but like a fresh start as you were going through this process. hundred Because 100%. you did. You were someone who saw your mother every day, multiple times a day, talked multiple times a day. Yeah. And then suddenly it was like, well, I'm going to the West Coast. And we were all like, what? <laughs> what?
0: I think that it was super subconscious. I don't think I yeah, would have ever said feeling. that out loud. But yeah. I think when I got here, I realized, oh, I needed, I needed space. And by the way, this is shit people do 20 years ago. Like I'm doing this very late in my life. People totally. leave home a lot younger and, and get this experience of, of breaking away and finding the dynamics that no longer serve them and trying to do it a different way a lot younger. I did it right. later, which I think yeah. makes it even harder because yes. I played this role of
1: fixer for, you know, t- what, two decades too long. And when it's happening in your 20s, you're sort of like, yep, that's what they're supposed to do, like fly the, fly the nest and find their own path. But when you do it in your 40s, I think it was really shocking and is really shocking. Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily
0: necessitates a move. I think there's a lot of our listeners out there that are going through this kind of transformation in their lives for a lot of reasons. It can be because of your career. It can be because of your purpose. It can be because of a new relationship. It can be for a million reasons that you're starting to learn more about yourself and who you really are versus the role you played to make other people comfortable and you start to speak your truth. That's what this is about. And people are uncomfortable
1: with it. So now what does it look like though? Like you're not going to, you don't go from being the fixer to like not doing anything. Yeah, that's true. I think it's about balance.
0: I think that for me, at least I have an interest still in the people I love being okay. Right. But can right. you guys hear those crows they're yeah, going totally. off
1: Is there some symbolic is there Maybe. something symbolic about crows I don't know we should let's look
0: that up cuz they're all okay. in this conversation I apologize um hopefully it's not too distracting but, but like, I don't fight you guys <laughs> <laughs> I think that um I think that you can still have care and compassion and express what you need simultaneously that is the key message you That's can a hard balancing still balancing act but it is not as hard as it sounds if you just start practicing it. I think we are in such a like binary model of I either have to sacrifice my needs to be there for someone or I'm selfish. Like it's such a it's such a this or that and I actually yeah. think the truth is it's right in the middle. You can have needs that you express and have compassion and be there for others. So, I think personally for me what it's looking like is you know, really being able to show up when I feel like my friends and family need me and listen, not jump in to give them the solution all the time, but listen and, you know, ask questions, be curious, really treat them with the knowledge that they've got it. They don't need me to come in and solve it because they're weak. I always say this. I'm going to say it here really clearly. Fixing other people's problems for them is a very strong message that you believe they're weak that they're too weak to do it.
1: See, this is somewhere where you and I disagree. That's the problem. I I don't, I mean, it's not a problem. It's just somewhere where we disagree. Uh, I, like, I think occasionally, I don't think always solving other people's problems. Obviously, that's unhealthy for both parties. That's what I'm talking about.
0: So actually, let's just be really clear.
1: Always being in a dynamic where you're solving
0: other people's problems for them is a message to them that you believe they cannot do it. Okay. I'm not saying every once in a while, if you have a good idea, you shouldn't share right. it. Right. Again, okay. that's a binary. We got to be in the yeah. middle. I'm saying yeah. that if you are in a dynamic where you are always feeling that you have to solve other people's problems, the message you send to them is you are incapable of solving your own problems. And there's no reciprocity too, which is hurtful. And then the other side is that there's no reciprocity for you. But yeah, I, I just want, I want, and I even more simple than that. If you don't want other people to be uncomfortable, what you're saying is, I don't want you to grow. There's no growth without discomfort ever, period.
1: And I think it should be noted also, how many times do I say this out loud for people listening, that like I can see even by the way you're speaking today that you are struggling that this is not something that is coming easy to somebody who's already so insanely enlightened. Like you are like, you're still struggling with this. I can see, I've seen you like almost choke up a couple of times discussing this. Um, I think that even when we were in a, our heated conversation about it and you lost your temper slightly, which is not, was not your intention. And you did apologize. That this is even for the most enlightened is a growing and uh learning process. That people shouldn't expect for this to just be like, oh, right, everyone around me is this. And now I'll just shift and it'll be easy breezy. Yeah, you're right. This has been a five-year process for you and you're still in the middle of it. Like you're saying you've been growing, you've been noticing this for five years and it took you five years to even get to a place where you realized you felt like some of this was happening with me. Like you didn't even see that before. So this is a really slow evolution. And people should give themselves a lot of grace in the process. Absolutely. I
0: agree. It's not, like I say, it's not easy. I, I would say that it's moved past struggling for me to acceptance. Um, it used to be a struggle. It used to be a, oh, my God, my sister's mad at me. My other sister's mad at me. My best friend's yes. mad at me. And now it's a, they're okay. They'll come back. Is it always happy? No, because... Be feeling isolated from the people that you love and are close to when you're on your own journey is really hard. But it's not,
1: yeah. It's not just they're okay, they'll come back because you've reached out to me. Like we have never, we didn't have complete resolution on whatever our issue is w- over this matter. We didn't really wrap it up in a nice bow. We sort of just got off the phone and we were like, okay, whatever. And then we had a couple texts here and there, but we never fully addressed it again. So I don't totally agree with the, the fact that you're like, oh, they'll just come back. Because you've attempted to reach out to me. I've attempted to reach out to you. We're like in this kind of strange in-between place. And yes, of course, we will go right back ultimately. But we do have to work through this. And it's not like you're just stepping back. I think it's how you define what I mean by it's okay, they'll come back. What I mean is
0: I don't carry the guilt or the anxiety around it anymore. Oh, good. It does not mean (laughs) that I will stop reaching out. I I think – What I'm noticing is that you're very black and white and I'm like, it's talking in a very gray space here, which I love because I think a lot of people can hear this in a black or white way. So I really appreciate that you're like really making it clear. When I say it's okay, they'll come back. I don't mean fuck them. I'm never going to reach out again until they come back and say, I totally agree with you. What I mean is I'm able to rest easy in my heart and soul and in my mind and not have anxiety over it.
1: Right. Knowing you're saying what you believe. Yeah.
0: Whereas before
1: the struggle used to be
0: constantly playing it in my head. Oh, my God, they haven't texted yet. Oh, my God, they haven't called me yet. Oh, my God, what's going to happen right now? I don't have that anxiety in my head anymore. I feel this sense of like this is growth for everybody and it's okay. And I still have to show up for them. I still have to reach out. I also can sense if you're uncomfortable that I want to send you love and be like, I love you. I'm here, I love you, doesn't mean I need you to rush your process. I just want to let you know, I love you.
1: I love you. I love you. Okay, so then now that you're growing out of it, what is your role then? What do you think your role is in your family at this point in time? Where are you now? I think that my role in my family is what everyone's
0: role is in the family, which is to just be and exist as I am, to offer love and space and compassion and also speak up when I need what I need from them and to be a part of a loving landing space for the people that I love. I think it's it's that simple. I don't think I need to play any specific role. I think I just need to let people know I'm here. You are not alone right. in this life. I'm
1: walking right along next to you. Which is really beautiful. But you do have a gift. Like you do have an ability to problem solve in a way that a lot of people don't have which I think is really beneficial to people around you, not that you should be expending all your energy doing that. But like, do you fully take it away now? Because now like, now what am I gonna do? do? (laughs) Absolutely not. But really, like, I think a lot of people around you probably feel that way. Like, when, when is it okay for me to ask for her help and not okay for me to ask for her help? Like, I am feeling that way, honestly, now, like, if I'm having an issue, I don't want to overburden you. I don't ever want you to feel like I'm, not giving you – I never want you to feel like I'm not giving you space. That yeah. was like a very clear theme for me on my side of the argument. I always want you to feel heard by me no yeah. matter what. So if I'm doing anything to make you feel that way, I want to fix it. Yeah. I appreciate that question. I think it's um,
0: it's so much more nuanced than that. I am still here to guide and coach and give advice if that's what's asked of me. And I think that if I'm asked, hey, I'm going through something right now and I really need your advice – open heart, open advice flowing out. Like I am so there for it. Um, I will always, always do that. Um, I think the difference I'm just talking about is like making sure if I feel like that's always the case and there's not an interest in my life or whatever, which is not the case with anyone in my life. But, you know, just making sure I speak up when I have needs. Also, I need to reach out when I, and again, when you're a fixer, you don't do that because you don't believe that you, other people should have to fix your problems for you. You don't want to make them uncomfortable. So you don't reach out and say I'm having a really hard day. I really want to process this with you as much as you really want to. So I don't I think it's less about people asking me for advice. I I hope that they would I think it's more about me reaching out and asking for what I need. And I think it's also speaking up if, you know, in that example, like I'm talking right. about something and the person I'm talking to is like, oh, okay, let's talk about me. I think that you just have to put a boundary down. But I don't – I absolutely think that my role at least is to still give advice and I'm going to look for advice.
1: That's interesting that you say it because now that you think about it, I don't tend – even though I have stuff, I don't tend to reach out. I'm quick to share If somebody asks me things, I'd say, but I'm not one to be like, hey, I need to talk. In fact, even you, when you sense something's going on with me, you're like, do you want to talk? Yeah. Because I very rarely will be like, I'm going to call you to talk about my problem." But I think
0: that's okay. That's what I think friendship is. You need to be able to do that. I think that's what friendship and family is, is to say, hey, I'm having a hard day. Can I talk to you? And one of the things I'm trying to do with my kids that might just be good advice in general is when they're telling me something that's going on, I say, am I here to listen? Guide or get involved. Like, which are the three things am I doing? Most of the time my kids are like, listen, don't say a word. And I think it's the same thing with us. I mean, I have a family of coaches. My sister's a somatic coach. You know, my other younger sister is a coach that helps empaths. And we really got into the sticky situation where we would just fucking coach each other all the time (laughs) until I was the one who raised my hand and was like, I'm not asking for coaching. I just want to talk to my sisters. Like, I don't need you to coach me. So I think that there's the the reverse of it where we jump in and, you know, can give offer advice when the person's not even asking you to fix their problem. So maybe, you know, a good rule of thumb w- in these dynamics is when someone calls, which I still think needs to happen. You need to reach for your people. Don't try to isolate. Reach for your people. And then the, the person that's being reached for can ask, do you want someone to listen or do you want my advice right now? I love that think that's a really
1: solid uh takeaway no good i was actually gonna read i was gonna read our call-in question but honestly i feel like we really went over it already i mean not call-in question our uh, DM, dm question yeah but i feel like we already went over a lot of it so i was just gonna speak to uh one of our producer asked it was a pretty similar question and it was probably about you <laughs> <laughs> And it was, um, which I think is a really solid question and probably a really great way to wrap things up here was, do you have to shift roles or can you take on a healed version of that role? Which I guess is sort of what we were just saying, like, are you never going to be the fixer anymore? Like, can I never rely on you? And how, how do you take on the healed version of somebody you were your entire life, but it no longer suits you? Yeah. I think it's really
0: finding balance. That's the key. It's looking at Mm -hmm. the dynamic and saying, was my role in their life all about them? And if it was all about them for me, not for them, but for me, then how do I rebalance this to speak up when I have needs, to uphold my boundaries when I need space, and make sure I'm also equally getting what I need in addition to giving what the other person needs. That's the healed version is that you're not just giving, 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 giving. You are also really clear about what you need and you help people understand how to give it to you.
1: I think that's probably the trickiest part for a lot of people is figuring out what you need. It is Because really you hard. may know that like, I don't like what they're doing, but you're like, but what do I need to be different? I, yeah. I bet a lot of people don't. Have any idea? I, I, including myself, but you like, know, what I, I might mean, know something annoys me. Yeah, I think stopping to just ask yourself that question will surprise you that the
0: answer is waiting right there. I think that a lot of people don't know because they don't stop and give themselves the space to be like, I don't like this. Okay, what do I need? What we stop with is I don't like this, or I don't like them, or I don't like the way they're acting. I said to someone recently, um, who was I talking to? Oh. I did a mediation session yesterday that was rough, like, and it was with three senior, senior level executives, and right. um, one of them cried in the session. Wow,
1: and male or female, not that it matters. I'm just curious. I'm
0: not actually even going to tell you because I don't think it does oh. matter. Wow. Yeah. All right.
1: Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then I won't ask. But Never mind. One of them cried,
0: and they um, were really feeling really upset the whole session, and I called them afterwards just to check in because they were so upset and they said, you know, I just I st- I'm I'm embarrassed that I had this kind of emotion and I just still feel so frustrated and I said to them because I'd been coaching them one on one, it is so much easier to sit in the resentment of the person and in the anger of the person than to oh, then tell the person I'm resentful because then it's like now what do yeah. you do with the space afterwards and that's what you're feeling. And I think that that is so true when you are really in this place of, I don't like what that person does. It's so much easier to just not like what the other person's doing. It's right. so much easier than to stop and be like, okay, well, what do I need? Where are my needs? That is the work. Because once you figure out the needs, then it's, you're accountable for going back and saying, I need one, two, and three. And then you give them a chance to meet your needs. That's harder. You get there.
1: Like, even for example, with what you and I are going through at the moment, like, I don't know what I need from you or myself to um, move forward and move through this. Like, you were like, We need to talk about it. And I was like, "Uh, I don't really know if we need to talk about it. I just kind of need to like move through it. But I don't even know what that looks like or how to do that. And it's, I feel like I am listening because you are truly one of the most important people in my life. And this has been nagging. Me and I don't know how to fix it for myself or for you. Or, I mean, I think I know how to give you the space you need now, but I don't know how to sit with the discomfort I have over how this played out. I would open a notebook, seriously, take five minutes
0: of silence. I would open a notebook. I would take myself back to the part that felt really bad for me. And I would ask myself, what did I need? in that moment from my friend that I didn't get? What did I need in that moment that felt really hard for me? What would have felt good in that moment? And just without thinking about it, just start writing what comes to you and sit with that list and look at that list. What are the needs that are coming out? You know, maybe it's the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not to have Um, your voice raised, maybe, you know, it's could be a million different things. But I think if you sit with yourself and give yourself the space, the needs are sitting there and they're waiting to come out. They just haven't really been given the space to come out. So I would sit with it. I would ask in the moment that I felt hurt, what did I need in that moment?
1: Sorry, that's me snotting and ripping tissues off. Well, listen, they can't
0: accuse us of not being real on the podcast. Totally.
1: Totally. Even when the producers were like, Do you, let's talk about this. I was like, okay. <laughs> but I agree to it because I think it is important. And I think it's important for people who are, especially people like you and me who are so, so connected to show that there's even like, there's just moments. Everyone's growing and changing yeah. and evolving. And part of a friendship is being along for the ride as long as you feel safe and comfortable and happy still. And this is the number one
0: reason people are afraid of their truth because they're afraid of what it's going to do to their relationships. And I'm here to tell you, if you have the courage to speak it, And then you have the love and compassion for the people around you to let them adjust to it. You will end up at a higher frequency together. The pathway there is going to be windy and there's some thorn bushes, but you will get to the other side together way more connected and honest with each other and feeling way more supported than you did before you
1: spoke your truth. What's your takeaway? I think my takeaway is... That while it's really important to understand that post all of this growth, there can be a lot of discomfort with those around you. But I think really, I believe that the most challenging part of this for me, at least would be, um, figuring out what exactly it is that I need and then saying it is uncomfortable, but once you say it and you say your truth and you say it in a healthy way, which is something I always tell my children that if you say something and you say it in a kind, um, truthful way that is not not offensive, not yelling, not anything, but you speak your truth, you cannot help how other people react to you. Mm-hmm. So that you have to let go of that aspect once you speak your truth. But I really think finding your truth is, is the journey. Mm-hmm.
0: I will also just add, that's a beautiful takeaway. You're right. It's really clear on your needs. I also think in, when you're on the receiving end of someone giving you a boundary or speaking a new truth, is um, it's so easy to take it so personally and feel like such a failure. That's what happened with me. (laughs) And I will just say it couldn't be farther from the truth because what's happening is there's a change going on you didn't know about. And now you're just being asked to operate at a different frequency. You were operating at the agreed upon frequency before, which is why it's not a failure. It's just that you're now being asked to shift frequency with this person and –
1: That is why it's not personal. And the shift that you are asking of me is very um, healthy and acceptable. So I feel like comfortable making that shift to make sure that you feel that you're also in a safe space. Right.
0: I'm always in a safe space with you, just to be clear. All right. Well,
1: Bean. Whoa. I'm going for martinis stat.
0: Um, I have something to say to our (gasps) listeners. Hopefully they're still here. (laughs) We would love for you to share topics you'd like us to talk about. You hear Mm -hmm. Melissa asking me a lot of questions that she pulls from DMs that people send me, but we're happy for you to write in questions if you'd ever like any coaching on anything going on in your life. But if there's something you want to hear the two of us get into, please, please, please please let us know. And you can do that at the link in the description wherever you're listening to this podcast. There's a link there to submit feedback. But definitely let us know what you want to hear, and then we would love your support so if you could please share this podcast with others. Um, pretty please. Pretty please. We really want this <laughs> podcast to get um, to as many ears as possible because we believe so much in its purpose. So please share, really like, review. That's how you can support us, and we so appreciate it. We sure do. And I appreciate you, Bean. I appreciate you so much. Love you, Bean. See you next week. Love you. See you next week. Bye. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Grushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Bekhajath, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islam. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.